When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Preston M. Smith. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm Preston M. Smith, at PMS Artwork Everywhere on Internet Land and Socials. I want to thank you for landing on this podcast. Whether you're a professional artist, just getting started in the art world, a collector of art, or just consider yourself a creative person, this podcast has something for you. I like to think of it as a fun way to rant and talk to other creative people about living the life of an artist, surviving and getting ahead in the art world, and enjoying your life. But most importantly, not waiting until you're dead to make it happen. All right, let's get started. Wait, wait. Oh, we're good. So, hey, it's good to have you. I told you a while ago, I think I told you in 2020, I wanted to have you on. And sorry, it's taken so long. No, I was excited you reached out. I just I love your podcast. So I'm like really honored to be here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. I think, well, first of all, we're talking to Christina Elizabeth Smith. How do you say it? Is it I'm, how do you say it? I don't, I can't say it. I'm not even going to try. Oh, it's Amrita. Amrita. Okay. Now you don't have the I there, right? Did you shorten that? Or am I crazy? Um, It's actually an ancient spelling of Amrita. So Amrita is ambrosia and it's like all through mythology and, um, and there's different spellings of Amrita and some is with the I, but the ancient spelling is, and I love origin stories. So I love chasing things all the way back. Oh yeah. And, and we're going to so get into the, yours too. Yeah. I found um, the ancient spelling, which is without the I and I just liked it. I thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah. See, that's, that's cooler, but it is also cool because you don't know how to say it. I was like, Amrita. Arm, arm yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> however, however you want to say it, that's fine. Okay, so we're here with Christina Elizabeth Smith. Cool last name, by the way. And otherwise known yeah. as uh, Amrita online. And I love that. We're going to get into that more. I, it's, it's funny. There's a couple of reasons why I want to have you on, why I wanted to have you on. First of all, actually, there's about three. I wanted to get a chance to talk to you more because I know we've met a few times and we haven't really had a chance to have like a real dialogue. I love your work also. And then three is Thank you. because you're kind of a, a jack of all trades, which is something that I also relate to a lot. I, you know, I started out punk ska band acting. I came down here to act and paint, you know, written some books, you know, doing the podcast, doing art. And I know you were like a dancer, you're an actress, 
you do fine art. So I love it. So I want to get into all that when, when we start talking, but, um, or I could just keep talking and you can just sit here and listen to me talk. That's fine. I mean, I love it. I do love your story um, for that reason. I feel like it's really relatable, just like always trying to keep that artistic channel open. Yes. Um, that's why I love listening to your podcast. I love hearing you talk because I just so relate to that of just, I think all the arts are so interconnected. However, oh, yeah. you keep that artistic channel open um, is beautiful. So I love that about your story. Yeah. And I love that about yours too. That's, that's why I can't wait to get into it a bit. Um, it's one of those things where you get a lot of pressure from people, I think, uh, whether that's family members or just whatever haters, it's like, well, you got to pick something and focus on uh, it. And it's like, yeah. really, do we, I mean, I know, I know there's a certain amount of time that you need to put into anything to master the craft, but Hey, if you have that within you, you want to be an actress, you want to dance, you want to paint, you want to sing, whatever you want to knit caps. I don't care what it is. Uh, you should, <laughs> you should be doing it. Um, so I think that's great. And first of all, I want to start off by just saying, seeing how you're doing, how are you doing these days? I know there's a lot of craziness still going on. There is, you know, and I know you like to not say, you say the virus that should not be named, I think yes. is what you say. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I love, I love like not giving it energy or power. Um, yeah, it's like Voldemort. You know, Exactly. Um, it ebbs and flows. I think it's unrealistic to say like, I'm doing great. Um, but oh, I yeah. would also be lying to feel like I don't have a ton of gratitude during this time. Again, I feel really lucky that I have a space where I have all of these things that I pursue and I can do them in solitude because I live alone with my two crazy dogs. So, and I'm, I'm across the country from family. So, um, that's been its own challenge, but um, I've done that for a long time anyway. I think this has just been a really strange time where I'll have days where I'm like, this is amazing. I don't have to go to these events. Like there is this yeah, exactly. great excuse so I can really work on the things I want to work on and read the books I want to read. And then there are other days where I feel sometimes like I'm floating where so much has changed in such a short amount of time that, you know, finding my footing is really weird where I've had that experience a lot during this year. So I think it's just been a year of really deep self-acceptance of wherever I am at that moment, letting it flow through and realizing that no state is permanent. Like I just have to realize we're all going through it and, um, and just having a lot of grace with that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think everybody can relate to that on some level. It feels like we're all collectively bipolar these days. I yeah. feel this. I feel the same way. It's like <laughs> one day I'm like up and I'm like, yeah, I'm creating. I got all these avenues to create my stuff and sell my work still. And then other days I just feel like, like yesterday I dropped my work off at Shockbox and I missed a few people and my back was kind of hurting. So I had to get on the road and I was just like, man, I just feel like I, I was kind of excited to make a connection with some people, see some people there live and I didn't see anybody. And then I saw other people online, you know, hanging the show and I was like, fuck, you know, I, I really <laughs> want to make that connection too. So yeah, it just go, it's, we're all over the place right now, but I think you, you put that beautifully. So you're, where's your family? How far away are you from them? Um, we're pretty spread out. So I grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee. So I have family there, my mom and my sister, my sister's family is there. And then my dad goes back and forth between Kentucky and Tennessee for his work. And then my brothers are outside DC. So oh, wow. uh, we're all really close. Like I really am lucky that I really love my family, yeah. um, but we are very spread out. So 
That's um, crazy. Yeah. It's been, you know, I'm, we're so lucky that we live during this time where we have all this technology to stay um, connected, but I'm very much an energy in the room kind of person. Like I want to hug people and just sit quietly with people and, and you feel it when you don't get that for a long period of time, you know? Well, yeah. And then throw the pandemic into the mix and it's like, well, even if you wanted to, you can't. Um, So where are you located in Los Angeles? I am East side. I'm like Franklin village area. East side. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I came from. Uh, okay, cool. East side. Uh, so, so you have a drive too, whenever you go to Shockbox. I do, but um, it's funny. I was in New Orleans for a little bit for work mm-hmm. and I missed, you know, I think I was in LA. I've been in LA since 2007. And, I, you know, we all go through that period of like, oh, the traffic and all these things we hate. Right. And then I was in New Orleans and I missed LA so much that even traffic now when I'm sitting in traffic, like driving out to Shockbox and I love Shockbox so much that now now when I'm driving in traffic, I I have this, I still have that like kid feeling of like, I'm back in LA and the (laughs) weather's so nice and I can listen to podcasts. It's just a, such a perspective shift of how much I missed LA. So it's, it's definitely a drive and I feel it like I may go back out today and drop some more pieces off because I didn't realize people were bringing so many pieces for the program show. Oh, did they? I see. I only brought Uh, two and I thought that was too many. No, people are bringing like, and then I got like, I I was like, oh man, I brought one. I was like, maybe I should go (laughs) sneak some other pieces. So, uh, but now I kind of enjoy it. I like call people and I listen to podcasts and um, yeah, I've gotten used to the drive, I think. Yeah, the drive is funny. It's kind of like, it's almost a little bit of a metaphor you know it's like for life you got to make your peace with the drive once you make your peace with it it can be great it can be a a time of solitude I do deep breathing sometimes when I'm when I'm driving and kind of meditate a bit and yeah listen to podcasts and so it can be that cool time when you're alone but now it's like everybody's alone so (laughs) I don't know but uh okay cool well yeah so we've got the show coming up for anybody who's listening to this it probably opened last Saturday, but it's still going on. It is called Dude Unmute Yourself at Shockbox. And it's an all program artist show, uh, which is cool. I'm really excited to be with everybody, not just the guys, not just the girls, but everybody's together finally. And Mm -hmm. welcome to the program. I think that's so awesome. Uh, are, Are you excited about it? I am beyond excited about it. It just feels so lucky to be mixed in with all of you guys. I feel like there's so much to learn from all of you guys. And it's just been yeah, it's been just a whirlwind in the best way. So yeah, I'm really stoked about it. Cool. So how did you meet Mike originally? Man, I met him again, like during the pandemic time, I may have started following like Shockbox a little Mm pre-pandemic, but I just started getting involved and like really, I loved how energetic and, and just like he was putting so much out there and really involved in the artists in LA. And, uh, I just felt a specific energy coming out of Mike and Shockbox, And so Definitely. I just followed, I just followed everything. And I, we met on Instagram and, um, and yeah, he just felt connected. Like he stayed connected with artists. He would engage. And I was like, this is unusually positive energy. Um, yeah. And then I submitted to, I believe it was the intergalactic show. Yes. So one of the, 
yeah, one of the first shows and then got in and then it was just like building that relationship. Um, no, that's a lie. I lied. I totally lied. It was the 2021 show was the first Shockbox show I submitted to. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. And then yeah, got I think we in. that. Yeah. And then, um, that was my first show and then getting it. And I was just so stoked about that. And then, um, built, started building a relationship and he always had amazing feedback and yeah, it was just a very impressive real energy. And I was like, this is how I want to grow in the art world. Like no pretense, very open, very, you know, really strong community. I just loved the energy. Yeah, me too. I think it's rare, not only in LA, but in the art world in general to have kind of a place that fosters so much creativity and like, you know, feeds off of the energy of of people coming in and, and really just kind of gets behind it and says, yeah, you know, take this and run with it because so many other galleries are just like, you know, stop They're They're closing the doors. You have to try to beat down the door. And then when you do get in, you get kind of lost in the roster, but Shockbox is such a, it's like, it's such a great opportunity. And if you can come and match that energy, then you're, you're welcome. So yeah, I wanted to talk. I was talking about you specifically. I know you do, but in general for other artists listening to, if they want to, you know, submit to Shockbox. I think you'll see that it's it's doors are wide open. So you, Muka and Amy kind of came in at the same time, right? Yeah, it feels sort like of. it. I, yeah, I think like Muka and Amy were maybe a month before me. Okay. I want to say. Yeah, because yes. I kind of started, I followed, followed their work and I loved their momentum. And yeah, that was another thing. It felt like everybody that was around the Shockbox family had that same energy too, just really engaging and really um, just excited to be making art and connecting. And uh, that made the draw even stronger towards Shockbox. So I think, yeah, like they were maybe a month before me or something like that. Okay, cool. Cause yeah, it was funny when it started happening. I think the first time I ran into you, I was dropping off work too. And you kind of wandered in and we all had masks and stuff. And, you know, sometimes with Shockbox, just local people, just kind of wander in from the neighborhood. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't know if you were local or or whatever. And then I, I saw it at the end, I realized you were one of the artists and I was like, oh, I should have talked to her more. But since then, we've obviously been talking online and, and now, which is great. But um, I'm looking forward to having all of us together in a live show because those used to be so much fun. They get really good turnout. Have you been to a live show at Sharkbox yet? I have not. I am really excited about that. Yeah, the community is awesome because, you know, Mike's been there for a long time, him and his wife, and they were involved in the whole, did you hear about the whole lawsuit against, yes, um, yes the drilling yes. and everything? Yeah, so they have a really great community. Everybody just loves Shockbox and Mike, and everybody comes out and they turn out. So that's going to be fun. It's cool to see you three kind of coming into the gallery, bringing a new energy. That was the thing that Mike said. He's like, oh, these three, we got these three new girls, and they're just bringing this like new energy to Shockbox. So it's cool to see that. And and Mook and Amy, if you're listening, I'm going to have you on here at some point too. But it's just cool to see you guys bring in some new energy into the mix. So I wanted to talk to you about, well, let me give you your choice. How about that? Acting Ooh, okay. career or origin Ooh. story first? Um, Maybe origin. We'll go with the origin and then lead into the acting. I think that that makes sense, right? <laughs> sounds, that, that sounds perfect. Yeah, it'll probably be baked into there, so. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So start as early as you want and take as much time as you want. Awesome. Yeah. It's um, cool. Well, I was born in 
Clarksville, Tennessee, um, which is a military town. So I grew up a military child. My dad uh, was special forces my whole life. So I never had, yeah, I never had to move around because his specialty was just there. It only exists um, in, you know, at Fort Campbell in Clarksville, Tennessee. So that was, uh, in retrospect, I realized was an interesting way to grow up. But um, Can I just interject here really quick? I'm sorry. I was just thinking it must've been really hard for you to date anybody. Dad, special forces, three brothers. Don't you have three brothers? <laughs> I have two brothers. Oh, two brothers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I'm afraid. Okay. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, I think really... that always, that's always in there because he's, you know, you know he was part of uh, the battle of Mogadishu. So oh, that, wow. which is the, yeah, the black Hawk down story. And yeah. Um, you know, went through Desert Shield, Desert Storm and all of that. It was, which we were, you know, young, especially me, I was really tiny, but I remember so much. And you just, like, I just thought everybody's dad did that. Right, (laughs) right. I just um, didn't really have much of the perspective that, you know, dads stayed home and (laughs) did that, you know, (laughs) did anything else until way later. But so how um, often did you see him? Not very. I mean, he was deployed sometimes for years at a time, sometimes depending on the, like the mission, some of the missions sure. were more intense with special forces. They'll fly. So cause he's a pilot. So the, if the missions are more intense, they'll do like these three month stints and then come back and rest. But when he's back, like the integration was also difficult because, oh, you know, sure. you imagine you're in this war torn situation and then you come back and you have these four kids that are trying to crawl all over you. And that, that was such a a strange dynamic of like, well, you're not here and don't really know how to integrate when you are like, I'll never forget my poor dad. Like he came back and my sister was in eighth grade at the time and Mm -hmm. she's six years older than me. And my mom told my dad, like, she's going to go to a party, um, you know, like an eighth grade party. And he was like, she can't be hanging out with eighth graders. And my mom was like, she's in eighth grade. She's in eighth grade. Uh, Yeah, but still, she should hang out with sixth graders. uh, uh, But it was just, you know, that, that integration process of, you know, not being able to catch up. And how can you, you're living a life that is, you know, I can only imagine. And also we, we knew like it, we knew what was in the news was what our dad was going through. And um, it was, you know, I didn't really process it really until my twenties and I moved out here and I was like, Oh yeah, that was weird. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost gotta be like putting your family in a time capsule, you know, and then you go out and you come back and you expect them to be the same age, but everything's changed. Yeah. And you can't really, that, that's, the ball is rolling downhill and and you can't really ever keep up with that. And it's the reverse. Like we couldn't really keep up with what was going on with him. And then if we tried, we didn't really want to absorb it because it was so traumatic, you know? Oh yeah. Um, Like there were a few times that he was shot down and we um, couldn't hear anything. Like we didn't know anything. And sometimes the risk was like, Oh, the news will get it before the family gets it. And it's just, it's a very, it was a very um, 
you know, we were acquainted with risk and, and death at a really, really early age, like a lot of times. And stress, right? Yeah, because his, uh, we just knew, and my mom was such a, you know, she's Irish and German and and very much like a realist. So she wasn't going to like um, paint a prettier picture than what was going on, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And I've got some, times, I've got Irish and German in me too. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that, you know that very like, uh, just the reality. That, that's my of grandfather, it. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times like the men that, you know, that were my dad's friends would be there having a barbecue with us one weekend. And then we'd go to their memorial service the next weekend. Oh my God. And finally, I think when, you know, I was a teenager, my mom was finally like, I can't do anymore. Like I can't go to any more, more like memorial services. Like no more, no more taps. Like we can't hear taps anymore. (laughs) Like, Oh my God. But did you, built, did you kids have to go to a lot of those too? Yeah, we did. We did. Oh, wow. And then that, it was sort of the, the honoring and the facing and the, um, again, it's the facing the reality of, of what was going on. Same with like the, the Mike Durant story, which I don't know if you remember Mike Durant, the, yes. the, pris- the prisoner of war, like he was a really close family friend. So when he was first, when he was finally like rescued and first flown back in, we were on the the military tarmac when he was first pulled off the plane in the states oh wow so, and i was in footy pajamas i'll never forget i was still wearing like little footy pajamas and it was oh in the God. middle of the night it was like four in the morning like wow yeah and my how dad did you process was, that as a kid oh i didn't really because my dad wasn't home yet so it was that like is my dad gonna come home like that that's all I didn't know how to process it because mm-hmm. I would, you know, cause they, the hours were so weird. So they would come home. Like my mom would wake us up in the middle of the night and we'd go onto the military base and they'd be brought out of these military aircraft. And I was always in my pajamas cause I was tiny and you know, you were doing it before it was hip. Yep, exactly. Um, and I <laughs> sorry not to make light of it. No, I did does not offend me at all. Um, okay, good. No, I just remember him being wheeled out like on a some kind of like stretcher of some kind and like being oh, wow. in my footy pajamas and being like, well, it, where's my dad? Is he going to, you know, just not knowing really how, where to put it. Right. Um, so yeah, that was it. But it was also like, you know, I say all of that, but it's also, I had, all, I had a really beautiful childhood too. Like we, we're always playing in the woods and I was really close with my siblings and my mm-hmm. mom was such a good mom and really involved and like always encouraged us to just pursue any extracurricular we wanted to. And Oh, that's good. Yeah. She was very, very supportive of how we were each very individual in our, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, never tried to like force us into any box, you know, that's that great. Was, yeah. That was beautiful. Well, it's interesting. I'm seeing, I, I mean, I have so many questions. I'm going to let you finish, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing some where some of this, you know, this feeling, this fire comes from too. Um, and then having it be fostered as well is, is wonderful. I'm going to get on some, into something a little later, a little dichotomy that I see kind of in your work, but I'm, I'm starting to see some of the seeds of that, but, um, continue. So where, what age are we now about? 
Um, this was probably, I mean, this was definitely younger and then getting into like probably around, what is it? Eight or nine. I start, I discovered dance and mm-hmm. that, you know, that's when I started to really find art and how to process the stuff that felt really stuck inside of me, you know, definitely. Uh, which I just found in dance class at like a YMCA and like begged my mom to do it. Cause I had like a little girlfriend that was doing it. And yeah, I did that. And then the YMCA like lost funding and I lost my mind. <laughs> so my mom was like, okay, we got to find another dance class. All of a sudden and, no more dance. Yeah. No more dance. And so she did, she was amazing. She pursued, um, like a dance studio there. And then that was kind of the end. I was I became so obsessed with dance and became like a touring competitive dancer and would dance like five hours after school every day. And That's then so tour, cool. Yeah. And then tour on the weekends. And then my mom was so incredible. She was like a master seamstress. So she, in order to pay for my dance classes, cause we couldn't really afford them. She would sew all of the costumes for my dance team. And pay oh, for so my cool. classes. Yeah. So was she it kind was, of like a barter system or, or did she? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, she would just, you know, looking back at that, it's just so heroic of her to be like, I'm going to find a way to pay for these dance classes because they were so expensive. And she'd be like, okay, I will just offer to make all of the dance costumes. And she did like for a lot of kids, like it was wow. a lot. And she did that for years. And, well, and talk about, you know, teaching you a good lesson, even as like an artist and actress, like using your skill to, you know, overcome something. Yeah. And she just always found a way, you know, cause she had three other kids that were trying, you know, they were doing their extracurriculars and playing sports. And my sister was really into horseback riding and, and she just always found a way um, wow. on a one parent salary, you know? It was military, which was not that high. So, right. Yeah, she was magic in that way. So, she shout out to mom. Maya, mom. Um, <laughs> yeah, she just was really encouraging and she drove me to all my competitions, which was really fun because it was the time when I like got just mom time, you know, which yeah. having a lot of siblings, that was its own kind of special. And yeah, and then as I got into like age, 14, 15, you start to age out of the competitive market. Um, and then I, I'll never forget. I did. There was one dance I was offered, which is two other girls. And it was like three weeks outside nationals and our dance like teacher that ran the studio said it was impossible to qualify that quickly for nationals. And so she like gave up on us. She's like, you, you can try, like, I'll give you studio space. So we're like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to qualify for the for encouragement national. teacher. Oh, it was terrible. She totally gave up on us. She's like, there's no <laughs> way you can qualify. Um, these people have been working for a year. Like there were, there was only three weeks out, but I was like, we're going to do it. And yes. she gave us like the grossest studio that had like the drop ceiling that was like moldy and smelled like dirty water. And we did it. We, um, we rehearsed all the time after school. I got in trouble for like tap dancing under my desk at school, but we did it and qualified and won nationals and then won oh like overall God. at nationals. This and is that a was, movie right here, Christina. It was insane. Like this it is a movie. In- I see the scene of you tap dancing under in a montage, you know, under the desk. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. You got to play yeah, got, in this movie too. I know. It was crazy. It was one of those, like, I still tap into that 
little Christina when I think I can't do something because there was no stopping me. There was like, everybody told us that it was impossible. It was just three little girls that everybody said, there's no way, like people have been qualifying for a year. You only have three weeks. I mean, it was the middle of Clarksville, Tennessee, like not a very great area in this really gross studio. And, you know, what what another great lesson, like you're, you're getting all these lessons, your mom teaching you how to like, you know, barter with her work. You basically learning what it's like to have naysayers and people telling you, you can't do something. And then at a young age, just going, Oh yeah, watch me. And then doing it. I love this. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No, we just, um, it was just that again, like I said, I just still tap into that. Like I was probably 14, 15. I still tap into that. There was no telling me no, like there was no way you could penetrate what I believed in. And it was, you know, it was the whole country of dancers that had, that came to this place and we didn't just win category. So we won our tap category, but we also won overall, like every single dance. <laughs> it, it, oh was, it was surreal. Um, it was surreal. And it was just that the power of that kind of determination, and <laughs> just the fierce, like, you know, and it was like, you know, dancers that came from New York that had like all this money. And I just, I love that story. Cause it was like Clarksville, Tennessee, these three little girls that came from nothing and just, um, yeah, it's like over- Hoosiers from a dance perspective. Yeah. Um, so I just still hold I think on I just to dated that. myself, by the way. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Hoosiers? No. Okay. Okay. Give it a goog. You'll, you'll okay, find yeah. yeah. I'll Google it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and that was sort of the apex of my, you know, dance career. And after that, you sort of, you sort of have to make a choice of, do you, you know, there was a little bit of talk of like, do I move to Chicago and pursue like a tap career? And my mom was like, absolutely not. Like you can't move when you're, you know, 15, 16 and leave the family and I can't go with you. And so it was like, do I pursue a dance career. And then there was sort of this bottoming out of my life for a minute of like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what to do now. Well, yeah. Cause um, what, how, how long is a dancer's career typically? Like how old do they retire? It's kind of like a normal athlete, correct? Yeah. And you have to, I mean, a dancer's career, like I really applaud lifelong dancers because it is a, it's a rough life. You don't get treated yeah. that well. Um, and it's like, what are you going to do music videos and teach? And, you know, I've, I've known some dancers out here in LA and it's, or, you know, out in New York and yeah, you just don't get treated that well or paid that well. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a lot of artists, but, um, yeah. and so I, I kind of hit that sort of what now and went through a stage of, of course, I was also a hormonal teenager. So I got really depressed of course. And, um, just sort of bottomed out of what now. And I also really did not like high school. I could not stand high school. I just always wanted to pursue art. I didn't see the point. I didn't feel like it moved at the pace I wanted it to move. I was like, I just, just let me learn faster. Like, can I just read some books? Um, and so again, my very magical mother, um, I tried to graduate high school two years earlier. And so, cause they had this program in middle school where you could take high school courses in middle school. So I did that. I took like all my algebras, all my maths. I took like a lot of my science in middle school, mm-hmm. but they had no plan. Once you got to high school 
to start taking college courses. There was just no plan. They're just like, just take electives for the last two years of right. your high school career. And I just was like, coast for two years. I was like, that's a waste of time. So yeah. I went to my, I went to my principal at the beginning of my junior year. And I was like, uh, no, that's why at the end of my sophomore year, I went to my principal. I was like, can I take, I needed an English course and a science course. I was like, can I take these two courses after my sophomore year in summer school and graduate early? And he said, no. And I was like, and that's really when I just completely went into like the darkest depression. I was like, I have no control over my life. I can't do this for another two years. Like I want to go and pursue these other things. I want to see what else is out there. Like I just really bottomed out. And so, you know, and also there's another side thing where public schools get money for military children. Mm-hmm. So they get, you know, it's not very large, but for every military child they have in their school, there is a little bit of a bump for the school. So maybe that was a reason to keep me there. But so I went to my mom and she's like, drop out. <laughs> so that is what I did. <laughs> Thanks, which mom. I don't, yeah, I'm not saying like kids go drop out of high school. That's not what I'm saying. I was just a different kind of kid. Yeah. You know, I was just a different kind of kid. And so that is what I did. I dropped out. For I love a minute. that your mom said that. Hey, just of drop course. out. Just drop out. Um, <laughs> so I did, and it was really liberating. And then for a while, I did this sort of online program, homeschool. And I that's when I sort of stole some of my sister's acting books. Like she had an Uda Hagen acting book. She had, Uda. you know, yeah, she had a Stella Adler book. And I just, uh, like, I started, read all these. Yep. Yeah, I started taking all of her acting books and I just started, you know, I sort of went into this really quiet stage for a really long time. My mom mm-hmm. says it was a year. I don't believe her. Um, but I just didn't talk and I read everything I wanted to because I never felt like I had autonomy over that. Um, mm-hmm. And I was going to do this online like homeschool thing. And then it just, again, didn't feel like the pace I wanted. I wanted to go to college a little early. And so I just got my GED and then mm-hmm. started going to college um, two years early or a year and a half early. I can't really remember the timeline. And that was great. But again, in college, I was like, I'm going to take psychology and guitar and theater. And like, <laughs> I just, you know, that's when I just really started oh, opening yeah. up all the things I wanted. So I did that for a couple of years. And then finally, I was just like, I did all those too, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) I was just always an artist, you know? And so um, I did that. And then at this entire time, I was working a million side jobs to just save money because I knew it was like, okay, it's going to be Chicago, New York, or LA. And just the more I sunk into like stealing my sister's acting books. And I started taking an acting course in Nashville with like this ex soap opera actor. And um, yeah, I just started really falling into that. And then I got an agent in Nashville and started going out on like music videos and local commercials and was like, okay, I'm going to really pursue this. And it just sort of. So did you take theater in college at all? I did. Yeah, I did. And that, um, that got me obsessed with plays and, um, which is really the foundation of my work is, is theater and yeah. um, plays. Anytime I feel like I'm becoming untethered from anything, I go back to plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they're brilliant. So there's yeah, nothing I, like doing live theater. No, I, I just feel like that is 
for me, the, what taught me how to act, you know. Definitely. Did you ever do any musical theater? A little bit, but very early on Mm -hmm. musical theater. I always liked just theater. Yeah. (laughs) My claim to fame in college was I was Charlie Brown and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Oh, that's amazing. That's such a fun musical. But this is not about me. This is about you. It can be about you too. Okay, let's go. Let let me tell my origin story now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, no. So you're, okay. So you went to Nashville and you started going off on music videos, uh, auditioning. So when did you bridge the gap to Los Angeles? That was 2000. I mean, I decided really early on. So I saved money for a really long time and then finally packed up like my Honda Civic and drove out in 2007. Nice. Is when I moved out. You know, I like vacuum packed all my stuff and whatever would fit <laughs> in my Honda Civic. I drove oh, yeah. out in 2007 um, and have been here ever since, except for uh, like a year and a half in New Orleans. There's nothing like that feeling, right? Of packing up your car and driving to Los Angeles. You know, I'm sure you were also prepared like I was, but you still, you know, you have a little bit of the stars in your eyes and you're, you don't know what to expect. Were you nervous or were you just like, I got this? I was, again, it was a little bit of that same 15 year old energy of tunnel vision where it's, I, I had never been to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I had, I knew nobody in Los Angeles and the way that I found my apartment was I worked at a Chili's in Clarksville, Tennessee. Oh my God. I worked at Chili's too. Are you kidding me? That's weird. Wow. Worst job I've ever had, honestly. Mine was actually great. I had the best boss that if I called him and said I had an audition, he'd be like, okay, you have a good time. Well, you know what? Uh, That's it's completely your management. I had five managers on every shift and they would follow you around and tell you the same thing. Like one time somebody filled a glass full of mashed potatoes and sent it back. And they were like, didn't believe me. They're like, how did you miss this? I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't miss this. They put mashed potatoes in their class so they could get a free meal. And then I had like, it wouldn't take your slip at the end of the night. So I would have watched this woman walk around the restaurant for like a half an hour before she would even look at my slip to like check. Me oh, out. I hate that. Like when yeah. you're trying to do your checkout and they're oh like trying to check you off to make sure you did your side work. I'm yeah. like, dude, yeah. she it's never it. going to be this important. It's never going to be, no one's going to die if yeah. I didn't like wax the tables the right way. Like, I know. Or, or, or put the ketchup in the exact right spot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad you had a better time at Chili's. I did definitely had a better, you know, it was not a Chili's ad, but you know, I definitely (laughs) had a better experience. I had a great boss, but yeah, I saved up five years of Chili's money and, but I didn't know anybody in LA. Okay. So no, I worked at the Chili's and (laughs) there was a girl there that was like, Oh, you're thinking of moving to LA. I was like, yeah, for sure. Gonna do it. And (laughs) there she said, I have a friend that is leaving LA the same month that you're moving to LA. Do you want to take over her apartment? Oh, that's awesome. I was like, absolutely. Totally want to do it. Can I talk to her? And in retrospect, never would do that now because I didn't know the area. It could have been in the worst area. Sure. So I did that, got the key, drove out to LA. The apartment was on Larchmont above the Sam's bagels. It was like a dream apartment. Wow. It was a dream. It was just like this magical little apartment that smelled like bagels all the time. And I I mean, granted, the landlord ended up being like a slumlord and I had to like 
move out. But it was still like for the time that I had it, this dream little apartment and I loved it so much. That's um, so cool. I'm still seeing this as a movie. I love this. This is great. <laughs> this is seriously like what I envisioned when I was thinking about moving down here. It was so crazy. But again, you just, I would never do that now. I'd never be like, sure, sight unseen. Of course. Don't know anybody. It was crazy. Uh, and then in my first like, four months of moving to LA, I had to move out of that apartment, sue my landlord. My mom got cancer. I broke up with my my boyfriend. It was just like, here we go. Yep. Yep. But that's, that's those first couple of years in LA. Oh my God. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that about your mom. She's better. Oh, she's She's better. better. Okay, good. So thank you. Yeah. Shout out to mom again, overcoming every obstacle. Uh, That's so cool. Yeah. I I completely understand. Like moved to LA with my ex-girlfriend. We were like, we're going to take over this town. And we came down. We didn't know anybody either. We landed. We like had to rush and find a place. We got into a place and they're like, well, we'll let you move in uh, without, you know, we'll let you move in today if you don't. Uh, if we don't have to get it cleaned and we're like, okay, let's do it. And we had cockroaches all no, over the place. No, like, no, Oh yeah. No. So that was our first experience. It was funny because my girlfriend booked a national Hershey's commercial within like mm-hmm. three months and she made like 40 grand off of that. And I was like, Oh, it's easy. This is all you have to do. Cause we were prepared. <laughs> we were like theater people, but you know, we were, we thought we were prepared, but then it was just like, uh-huh. Oh my God, she never booked another one after that. And I was doing a lot of independent stuff, but it was just like not paying the bills and then we broke up because, you know, she completely changed and it was just like everything fell apart. All of a sudden I was alone in Los Angeles. So I completely understand. And yes, things do sometimes fall apart. <laughs> in the first yep. year. So uh, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, in a kind of like they feed into one another because that yes. was always the main pursuit. So I, you know, I had that apartment on Larchmont and in that first little blip of time, I was like, I have to get a job. Like I have to immediately get a job. I didn't have like really any kind of safety net. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I walked out of that apartment. I took like 20 steps and I went in a place. First, I went in one place across the street and they're like, I didn't not say that I was an actor. I was very naive. I was like, I'm an actor. And so they're like, we're not going to hire you. And so <laughs> like, I, good. No, we're not going to do that. We haven't heard that um, one before. Um, and so I walked across the street and I was like, okay, people don't like actors here. And so I went across the street <laughs> and I was like, hi, can you hire me? I'll do anything. And they're like, yeah, we need, you know, some kind of counter girl. And they're yeah, like, hi, what kid. else? And what else do you do? I was like, you know, I'm just trying to figure it out. And so they they hired me right away. And then I worked there for a really long time, for years, actually. I ended up working in this restaurant. And um, it was great. And then one of the, like, delivery drivers there told me about the improv. And then I started, like, Iowa West. Um, So that that was one of the first places I started taking classes. And then that was sort of like a another snowball effect where it's like, once I started taking classes there, I started taking classes at UCB and then the groundlings and then my Meisner classes and then went to the imagined life. Like I just was like, I'm going to learn everything. No one's going to tell me that I don't know stuff. (laughs) I love that you did improv. Um, I did comedy sports professionally for a year. Oh, wow. Okay. I've got a friend who still does comedy sports and teaches it. Um, I don't know if you know him, Rick Stedman. Uh, He's an actor in the town. I I know. know Yeah, it's fine. Um, but yeah, improv is is amazing. It, I mean, it completely opens you up. I love that you did improv. Uh, did you learn anything specifically about, you know, 
acting and life from improv? I think it was mostly just how to fail. Yeah, no, I think you learn a lot. I think it's like you learn how to be, you're not going to die from being embarrassed. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to die from trying things and failing. Like you will look stupid. You, but it's also like how to trust those first instincts, what that looks like and how to just listen and be present. It's, it's sort of a, yeah, it's a meditative process almost. And, um, and it was just a really fun community. I still have a lot of like, friends in the periphery that I met in the improv world. And also like, that's how I got my really incredible commercial agent that I still adore that I've been with for, I don't know, over, I'm going to say 10 years, maybe longer. Like I pink hammer. No, that's my management company. I'm with CPN commercially and uh, with Jennifer and I just love her so much just as a human being. I'm like, that's um, so cool. Yeah. And that was through improv friends that I found her, um, mm-hmm. just a beautiful, real human. And, uh, so yeah, that opened a lot of doors and it opened a lot of doors commercially. And, uh, yeah. And I just feel very comfortable with comedy. Like it's no, cause I did comedy improv for six years. I was doing other things as well, but that, you know, it took me six years to get through all those programs. Well, that's something that I, I love about, I, I watched your reel and I watched a couple clips from you and different things. And it's funny because I was telling, I was telling about this dichotomy earlier and it seems like you have this polarized, uh, I don't know, acting style. And, and I even see it in your art. It's like, you're either doing this really intense traumatic work or you're doing like super, uh, comedic, which I love. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's very true. It's also how I live. Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to get into. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, because I have, you know, I have that, that gravity, but it's also, you know, there's so much levity thrown in there. And if someone Mm -hmm. was like, oh, choose, I'd be like, I don't understand what you're saying. You know, like, right, why? Yeah, I also think that's the best comedy, too. It's like that you're, you're not playing the comedy, you're playing it so truthfully it's like there is a book that's called that like truth and comedy. truth and comedy it's like, yeah it's a great yeah. book yeah. yeah you're playing it so dead serious that it's it's funny you know um and then because, with your art with your paintings um you have these you know very beautiful gold abstract pieces and then you kind of scribble in sometimes some funny or you know intense comments in there and and that that's kind of that same dichotomy it's like you've got this beautiful fine art mixed in with this just kind of like I don't I don't don't even know it's just like an impulse like that you're oh I'm just gonna throw this out there and sometimes it's humorous sometimes it's deep sorry so I was just seeing that a lot it was funny because I saw that in your work in your fine art and I was like oh it's kind of similar in her acting actually yeah I mean it's even like watching you know you'll watch a really serious movie and it's you always have that kind of comic relief or that moment of levity thrown in there. It's like, you need mm-hmm. that almost as like a breath of like, we're going to be okay. Like it, because yes. it's like, look, the, uh, the truth of my life is that there has been a lot of dark in it, a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, and that doesn't mean I feel sorry for myself in any way, but the, the, the thing is that I can, I'm, I've dealt with it. I still deal with it. And I do hold on to hope and I can also make fun of myself and um, I'm willing to talk about it. And 
to all spectrums. Like I can make fun of myself and I can also get into the depth of that conversation. I think there's so much power in that, you know, there's so much power in, I can have the depth of like a really dark and felt conversation, but it's also like, I can be silly and make fun of myself and have the levity. And I think that that's just living the full spectrum of life. Um, and I, I wanna, agree. Yeah. I want to give that to people too. I want to be like, yes, this has been dark and we're all suffering with something, but it's also like life is also still beautiful and there's so much hope in it. And I believe in people so much, even though people have deeply hurt me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's trying to, with my work, bring all of that together and have that conversation. Yes. And it's like when you zoom out far enough, it's almost like we were talking about comedy. There's always like the straight person in the comedy who like all the, I think of like Ben Stiller comes to mind, right. You know, Mm -hmm. in the comedy and he's got everything around him is just chaotic and ridiculous, but he's going through this. He's really living all these human emotions and it's pretty tragic. But when you zoom out far enough, it's kind of funny from like a situational standpoint. And I, I kind of think that with life sometimes, a lot of times I get so dark with some of the stuff that's happened to me too. Um, some like traumatic events and, 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 and things like that. And then sometimes even with when I was waiting tables for 16, 17 years and hating my life, it was like when I finally made peace with that and just said, you know, this doesn't have to be this heavy. And I almost kind of made fun of myself a little bit. It was like the death of the ego. When you zoomed out enough, it was like, this is not as heavy as it needs to be. And as soon as I made my peace with that, it just kind of opened up. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that stuff too, because I feel like there's a de- a definitely a deep spirituality in your work and, and what you do. Um, I know you talk about Buddhism in some of your stuff that I've read and how, how important is that in your life and work? Yeah. That, I mean, that's a great question. Thank you for noticing that and picking up on that. Um, it's profoundly important for me because again, uh, I mean, it's something I could talk about for a very long time, but I, through this suffering that I've been through my life, um, I feel like there's a crossroads that I hit where I could let it destroy me and become a cynic and um, not see the good in people. Or I could become, like they say in, in Buddhism, you become a seeking spirit where you you seek a way to turn your suffering into mission, a suffering yes. into um, a way of, of speaking to the world and using it for good, you know? And I started turned into that seeking spirit of like, this will not destroy me. Like I've watched so many people, again, even my parents and not be destroyed by suffering. And so how do I turn this into mission and not become a victim, but become a survivor? And, and that became like, just, you know, again, seeking. And I just happened upon the particular type of Buddhism that I now practice. And I felt that, that just connection with a deeper self and, and also a release that just works for me. I mean, in Buddhism, they say too, like all paths lead to enlightenment. So it's really however you get there, whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or, or, you know, agnostic, however you get there is the right path for you. Um, for me, it's Buddhism. And however long it takes too. Exactly. Um, and that's, what's so profoundly beautiful about just all human beings. But for me, Buddhism is just the way that I get there and um, giving that to the world. And inherently it's just the idea that 
all of us have a Buddha nature, which is a deeply wise part of ourselves. And, and how yes. do we get, get quiet and find a practice that taps into that, that interconnected wisdom and just listen to that wisdom and, and get connected with something that's bigger. Like I call it that, that sort of untouchable part of us that can't be broken and it can't be destroyed and it's uh, interconnected with everything. And it, it's so, it's so healing and it's, and it's, you know, um, for so long I felt broken by the things I had gone through and I felt not good enough. And I felt, um, just worthless, you know, Mm -hmm. like I needed all these external things to tell me that I was worthy or lovable and Buddhism is just that doesn't exist in Buddhism. The thing is that the, how you are exactly right now, is inherently perfect. You are the Buddha. You exist as that. There is nothing that you need to do or push or prove or have. Um, and the more I like seek guidance from these amazing practitioners of Buddhism, you just feel that energy of just deep acceptance. And there's something about being in that energy of deep acceptance that's so healing. And like, I want to give that to the world. And I yes. think that's it's going to be a lifelong pursuit in my art, but it's just like, I want to make people feel seen and accepted mm-hmm. and just held within themselves, you know, and, and that their story is perfect and the way they exist is perfect. And yeah, give that peace to the world, you know, that is, um, yeah, that's my goal. That's beautiful. I love it. I connect with it so much. Um, I feel like we could talk about, like we could do a whole separate podcast yeah, talking about this. True. No, I love, I love it seriously. Cause I've tried to get into this with um, a few other people and I think we just kind of ended up focusing more on art, but I, it's so important to me too. I, I have a meditative practice every day. Yeah. I love for me, it, it's, you're right on just getting quiet, getting, yeah. having that access to yourself. I think there's so much noise in the world right now. And um, I know when I was going through a really hard time and I was getting over some of my demons from my past, even like childhood, I, Eckhart Tolle was huge for me. Like I, mm-hmm. I listened to him all the time and it was just like, it really centered me and I still need to revisit that. And I think that's what you're talking about. This spiritual practice, it's interesting because I got frustrated at the beginning because it was like, I would have it and then I would lose it. And I started to accept that that's just part of the process. Like you're always going to be having to remind yourself of these deep inner truths. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know if well, you experienced that too. No, I think that that, so I used to um, have deep frustration with that as well, but the more I seek guidance and the more I study, uh, the more I realize that's the gift as well. Like the suffering yes. is also, there's a thing in Buddhism where they say when you're suffering, you know, and you have to really practice to understand this, but I think you'll understand this. It's not a condescension to say like Buddhists, when you're suffering, will say congratulations. Yeah. Because, because the idea is that even through the falling off and even through the suffering that will lead you back to the enlightenment or the, the practice or the deeper understanding. So there is the idea that even in like, I just so resonate with what you're saying, because I'll go through these days where it's like, (laughs) <laughs> I'll call my mom sometimes and be like, mom, I'm a really bad Buddhist today. Because <laughs> I'll just be like, you know, I'll be feeling anger and like lack of self-worth and just really lonely and just like 
bad at everything and ugly and just um, all these things that you're just, you think a Buddhist is not supposed to feel. Right. But it's also like, that's part of the profound process of Buddhism where it's just like, yeah, all of these things are leading me back to the practice. They're leading me on the exact path of finding a deeper understanding because then I go to like, you know, I also work with an organization that just helps mentor other practitioners. So then I'll go Mm -hmm. speak to somebody that's suffering and I'll be like, I can relay that story to them. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, I'm not alone. So through my story, it it's of use, if that makes any sense. So I have, I have to have those experiences or if I'm just sitting on a mountain being enlightened all the time, I'm not really of use. I'm not of use. <laughs> oh my God. It's so true. Yeah, it's so true. So it's, it's like, like, I, yeah, sorry, I yeah. just, again, it's like all of it's abuse. All of the suffering is abuse. All, so it's like finding even peace in all of that. It's like, okay, this is just where I'm at right now. This is yeah. just where you're, you're at right now. It's just like so freeing. It's you know? so true. It's funny. It's like, it's easy to find enlightenment on the top of a beautiful mountaintop, you know, meditating <laughs> yeah. 24 hours a day, but try doing it in Los Angeles traffic. And then yeah, or, or in line at the are. post office. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the time, the DMV, that's the best time to practice. Um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. We were watching, my wife and I were watching vanilla sky the other night and it just, the moment you said it to me, it's like, Oh yeah. Remember his friend. He's like, you can't have this. You can't have the sweet without the sour. It's like the sweet and sour speech. It's yeah. so true. You need to yeah. experience both of those to to understand what you're going through. And it's a beautiful practice. I mean, I think I've gotten to the point where I still struggle with it from time to time, but I realize that without these moments, without these moments of defeat, I can't really understand and 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 process the the beauty in my life as well. So, yeah, and that's like you know, I listen to your podcast and I feel the gift that you're giving because you speak about your story and your suffering and the things you struggle with and like that. And that's how you give. That's how you, it's just amazing. So, well, thank you. And, and I, I feel the same with what you're sharing with us right now and your art, I think in some way, and we're going to segue into your art with this because I want to talk about this more. I could talk about this the whole time, but I want (laughs) to, I want to get into the art too, but um, that's what you're doing with your art. I think if you're really, sharing you know deeply your own personal story through your art i think it becomes universal or at least it it it's something that a major portion of the population will see and it'll resonate with and that'll affect their lives i think the more personal you get and the more you give of yourself the more people will receive it so and i and when you're talking about it, it reminded me of the um i think i'm pronouncing this right kintsugi kintsugi yeah yeah you're basically talking about that's almost like the embodiment of what you're talking about uh Kintsugi. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that relates to your art? Of course. Yeah. Kintsugi is the um, Japanese art. It's an ancient art of pouring real gold, real gold into broken pottery. So the idea is it's also Japanese. I'm a Japanese uh, Nichiren Buddhist. And so I love Japanese culture, of course. And um, in the ancient Japanese art of Kintsugi, they pour... uh, when pottery breaks, they take real gold and they fuse the pottery back together with the gold. And the idea is that through the breaking and the forging it back together with gold, the item becomes more beautiful and stronger because gold is so strong. And that is a metaphor for our lives as we break and we suffer 
we come back together more beautiful, more resilient um, than we were before we broke. And I it's just, that. it's, it's very Buddhist. It's very, it speaks so much to the experiences of my life and mm-hmm. um, yeah, coming across Kintsugi and, and the way it's just, that's what I want to give to the world is just the more that I explore that and study that and just my deep respect for Japanese culture and Buddhism and what it's given me, I, I just would not be here today without that sort of understanding as like, you know, I've forged myself through this suffering and, and chose to become stronger. Cause I do think it's a choice. I think you can it choose to be destroyed. You know, mm-hmm. I could have ch- chosen to really die from these things that I've gone through or, you know, turn them into good and, and forge myself and make myself stronger. And so I just, I love that. And that's why I love gold. I, I mean, gold also, I really, I'm really obsessed with um, comparative mythology and origin stories. Like I was saying before, I really love tracing back um, our stories and like even comparative religion, how like all of our religions have very similar stories. And it's just, are you the a idea Joseph Campbell fan then? Yeah, obsessed. Yeah. I've actually okay. made it a goal uh, to read <laughs> everything he's ever written, and I've almost done it, which is crazy. Because oh, yeah, some of his stuff is like textbooks, but it's just that feeling that I get that we are so interconnected, even in these stories and religions that that um, you know never really even cross pollinated. You can see these sort of parallel stories that mm. that we're so interconnected and and seeking in the same way and seeking acceptance in the same way. And so, yeah, yes. I just really love um, the Kintsugi and, and gold it exists in all of these stories. There's references to gold, same with Amrita. Mm-hmm. Ambrosia or Amrita exists in so many different religions and mythologies. It's, it's crazy. Well, it's very hopeful and you're right. I mean, I think we were talking about this a little earlier. You see the people who are, beaten down by life you almost see the light is just kind of gone from their eyes and i think it's those are people that in whatever you can say look they had a hard time you know these unfortunate things happen to them but you do you're right at some point you make a choice to let that either take over your life and be a victim of that or you make a choice to embrace it and make it like kintsugi and make you stronger and more beautiful and I think it's it's wonderful what you're talking about. And I think it's cool to see that you embody that as well. Thank you. Yeah. And that's never to discredit that. I've also been that person. I've been that sure, person. Sure, of that course. The light has been sucked out of me. So I never want to take away that people need that moment. But Oh, yeah. And, I, and, and I'm sorry. I want to clarify, too. I don't mean. Um, oh, no. I'm not, I'm not ragging on anybody. And, <laughs> and you can be that person. And it's never too late to kind of turn it around you know it's never too late to have that moment where you oh yeah okay my suffering is is worth something so it's not like you're a it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to be that way the rest of your life sometimes you need that period to to evolve i know i went through a 15 year period of just dark darkness and depression and um if you'd met me in that time you might have said well this person aside from his art is uh obviously a sad luck case but i think I needed that to get to the point where I'm at right now. Yeah, I understand that for sure. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I told you we were going to talk about your acting a little bit. Uh, we went past it, but I just wanted to share with people because I think it's awesome what you've done. 
NCIS, The Young and the Restless, Days of Our Lives, Paradise Lost, Grey's Anatomy. Amazing. Like, uh, are you still balancing your acting and, uh, and your art? Or do you find yourself going in, in one direction? I am lucky enough to still be balancing um, both, which I love so much. Um, it's funny on social media, you know, I think we're so gauged by what we share on social media. Um, oh, but yeah. I, you know, I share so much of my visual art on social media and not a lot of, I'm not a big like share what I'm working on acting wise on social media because I like to share when things are solidified. Um, of course. But, it, you know, it's been pilot season. So definitely like putting a lot out there during pilot season and like audition wise. So just waiting for something to land. And then also um, I've been working on um, the beginning stages of an off-Broadway play with, um, you know, for New York, which is crazy. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, we're doing a revival of Hurley Burley, which I love so much. And I so- love Hurley Burley, the Sean Penn Robin Wright. Yeah, 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 it's a David, it. yeah, it's a David Ribb play that's just yes. so good and very timely for, you know, kind of where the world is at right now. And so that's been, we've been rehearsing that on Zoom because I'm the only LA actor. And so, you know, the idea is that we're one of the first revivals up in the fall. So that's been amazing. That just has kept my, again, I always go back to theater um, when I really want to feel alive acting wise. And so yeah. that's definitely kept my heart alive during this quarantine time. So I'm so grateful for all the people that are putting that together. And so we'll see what That's happens. That's so exciting. That. Really burly. I love it. I know. I'm very, very excited for that. And just really grateful. The actors are just like, I, I just feel really humbled to be alongside these incredible people. So that'll be I know exciting. It, I know it's uh, off Broadway, but if it happens, is it going to be something that is going to be available for other people to see somehow? That's what we're, they're doing the research on because we already have the rights. So it's a matter of like, would they be able to stream it? I think it's just, there's so much stuff with the union and everything that they have to figure out. So I kind of leave that up to the producers because I'm just like, I'm here to act. Um, So, so, um, but I will definitely like, obviously keep everyone updated and it'll be very exciting to see, um, you know, because it's always like based on COVID restrictions and everything. How, of course, you know, what's going to happen with Off-Broadway. And so we've been trying to, you know, see what's going to happen with investors and all that. But that's something I'm very excited for. And then, yeah, I, you know, staying on top of pilot seasoning and and it's always just waiting to see what's going to land. You know, I think that's the, you know, that from your experience with acting, it's always just that deep faith of like, I always say the jig is up for me. I'm going to be an actor and painter. So it's, there is no other choice. And I think that that sort of determination of like, there's nothing else I'm going to do. So something has to work. You burn the boats. Yep. yep. Everything else is, you know, I'm just uh, floating down the river. So yeah, I know the let's feeling. Let's go. Yeah. Let's, um, yeah. Well, it's funny but, too, isn't it? Like I did so many years of like, okay, well, I'll try this as a fallback. And I, what I realized is at some point I'm just like, I will literally probably kill myself if I have to do so one of these other jobs. And I know it's not something for other people where it's that, it's that, um, heavy but for me I tried and I was so unhappy for so long that I was like okay then I'm just making this work because this is the only chance I have. it's like the M&M thing you know success is my only motherfucking option failure's not it's it's really uh, that resonates with me so much so it's cool to hear you say that but I mean I, but to look at you and your career what you're doing um 
yeah, of course you're, you're already doing it. Just, I mean, thank you, know. you for, you know, <laughs> reflecting that back. I appreciate it because, you know, we all have those days where it's like, what, wait, what? Yeah. Wait, yeah. What? But it's also the alternative is, you know, I really want to be an example of what's possible. I really want to be like, you know, for the, the, the women I talk to and, Mm-hmm. I just want to be an example of what's possible. And so the only way I can do that is by not having that fallback, by not being an example, <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is the only way that I can do it is just, yeah, that's just head on and, and say that I have something to say and, and, um, just be brave enough to do it because the alternative is like, I can be miserable doing anything else. And I just, I don't want to live that story. This is the story that I want to live. And so I have to just be brave enough to get through the days where I'm scared. And mm-hmm. it's like, we're all scared of something. And so I just, you know, I'm willing to be scared of uncertainty, you know, yeah. um, because the one thing I am certain is, is that I am a storyteller. That is mm-hmm. something where it's like, I'm not certain of a lot of stuff, <laughs> but I'm <laughs> certain that I tell stories. So, yes. um, that's one thing I can hang a little hat on. Well, there's no growth and none of these things happen without throwing yourselves out there. It's like uh, the Brene Brown thing. I know it's a quote, but the being in the arena, you know, you're not going to be able to do it without actually putting yourself out there in the arena. And it's easy for other people to judge what you're doing, but until you've been in the arena yourself, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just uh, you can keep your mouth shut because it's hard. And I I, I just love it. For me, it's one of those things where, I've kind of started to become not addicted, but I love being in a place where I'm uncomfortable because I know that's where the growth is happening and that's where the possibilities are. Yeah. I mean, that that's so, I mean, even with visual art, which I know um, that's the next like pursuit <laughs> going down with my visual art is just making myself deeply uncomfortable because I was yeah. talking about that with my sister, who's also a visual artist is just, you got to push that edge in order to have that, discovery process of, of what's next and what, what else can you give? And, um, yeah, I've definitely been walking around at least in the last couple of weeks with, with deep discomfort because I know <laughs> I'm in that, I'm in that discovery process. And yes. I, I just have to be willing to to do that. Well, it's the same um, thing you're talking about with your Buddhist Buddhism practice. It's like, okay, this is part of the path is being uncomfortable. And, you know, also part of the path is with being an artist and as you know, with being an actress too, it's getting rejections and bouncing back all the time. That's just part of the deal. Right. Right. That yeah. at least I, uh, that's one thing I'm very used to. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm just, <laughs> I've gotten it. Uh, that's one thing I'm very resilient um, to because of that's so good doing it for so long, you know? Yeah. Well, so oh, I wanted to ask you, so I, I saw a little blurb here. Are, is it true you're a vegan or you were just talking about a specific vegan restaurant? Um, I, I have to, I am pescatarian, so I will eat fish, but everything else I eat is vegan. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I did the, I did. Um, I, I, I like to say plant-based now because vegan for some reason has a weird stigma attached to it. I think sometimes, but um, when I first started doing because I love sushi. I'm also a big Japanese culture person. I went to Japan, had Japanese friends in college. And, Amazing. Yeah. Um, I love it. And and I got addicted to sushi. So when I first started making the transition, I was like, no, I'm going to keep some fish in my diet. But but we finally went the full-blown uh, plant-based. But um, I do miss fish. But yeah, I just saw that blurb and I wanted to ask you about it. So, well, you know the podcast. So, you know, I, I haven't asked you about a couple things. 
I wanted to ask you uh, about your superpower. What is something that you do when you're not feeling like creating or you're feeling a little blocked or something? Is there anything that like a go-to habit that you have that gets you, that unlocks that for you? Yes. It may not be that exciting, but I go on very long walks. That's, that's extremely exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. With, with nothing, like no, no music, no podcasts, no nothing. Extremely long walks because it's, it's almost like movement meditation for me. Oh Um, yeah. So that is, that's something that I will forever do. It just unlocks something that's almost like, cause I do believe that like a lot of our stuff we keep in our body. So there has to be some sort of, you know, or I'll dance. Like, cause again, I feel like a lot of our world we keep stuck in our body. So I think moving our body is, you know, whether you're a dancer or not, it, you got to move your body. If, if you're an artist. Definitely. Yeah. It's um, there's a connection with, like the breath and the movement and being outdoors too. I, I I feel the same way. So many people, so many artists have talked about, and even like scientists who've made major breakthroughs talk about going on long walks and uh, just getting ideas, almost like absorbing ideas from the ether, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it so feels yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it is very meditative. I think that's great. So would you say that's something like a daily routine of yours or do you have any other kind of cool daily routines that you you like to practice um daily well i do because i'm buddhist i chant so my meditative i i I do an active meditation which is Mm -hmm. a chanting process so that i do twice a day um cool so that that's morning and night Mm -hmm. um is it like right before you go to bed yeah it's right when i wake up and right when i go to bed oh nice awesome yeah it's great it's very active meditation so i have a specific place i do that every day so that's probably my biggest like daily routine the rest of that would be um you know sometimes I'll go into like writing if I feel blocked like I'll just do free writing because I did the artist way morning pages for a really long time I actually have like I have eight years of morning pages which is insane oh wow you could do do, like a retrospective at some time of just your morning pages I know I have eight years of morning pages which is that's so cool yeah that helped me a lot so anybody that's ever blocked I always say do morning pages yeah. Um, or ha- I did it for uh, morning anxiety before I found chanting. Um, mm-hmm. I did morning pages and it helped a lot with that, like morning anxiety I used to have. Um, Getting those ideas out of your subconscious. Yeah, that that helps a lot, a lot, a lot. And then I have I have certain things that I read. I read a lot of like um, Buddhist guidance I read. Um, anything that sort of gets me out of that, that hamster wheel of thinking. So for me, I just call it a toolkit, you know, um, I have a toolkit that I will pull from if I'm feeling like depressed or stuck and whatever in that toolkit, you know, sinks me back into myself, I will pull from and, um, just do those things until something works. That's nice. That's, that's perfect. Do you ever have days where none of it works? I do. And that's when I usually realize that it's either exhaustion or I'm not, you know, cause there is a thing like scientifically, if we're stuck in the same routine, we need to refire a different part of our brain. And that usually means I need yeah. to go somewhere different. So I need to drive out and walk on the beach, or I need to go to a coffee shop I've never been to, or I need to go like, look at different art. Like it usually is boredom more than it's like I'm stuck. And so I try to be like, just again, gracious with my system and be like, okay, Am I truly stuck or do I need to refire? Cause that is true. Like if you go to somewhere different, you're actually like 
awakening a different part of your brain because it's yes. having to categorize and, and, you know, fire up different neurons in your brain. So I'll just be like, okay, I just need to go to a new coffee shop today. So yeah. that, and it will, it will work like where I'll just, okay, I'm awake now. And so that's another tool too, where it's just like, oh, I'm just stale. I've been going to the same coffee shops, going on the same walking routine, been going to the same, whatever I need to refire or something. And yes. so that's another tool that works really well too, where it's like, it seems like it's mundane, but it's just like, it's, again, you're trying to keep that the system awake and alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. There's some times where I can get, I can be self-isolating uh, from time to time and I'll get into a routine where I'm just like doing the same stuff or I'm just in my studio and I just start to get a little social anxiety or, or depression. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is talk to somebody, but you know, the moment I actually force myself to talk to somebody, it just all melts away. It's like, Oh, I just needed to get out of my head and do something different and talk to somebody. Yeah. And, I mean, that's so useful. I had a therapist say that years and years ago, she said the year, the days that you don't want to go to therapy are the days you need to the most, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yep. Of course. You just get stuck. You get stuck. You do. And I, you know what, I would even say that's similar with painting. I know some people are going to push oh, back on yeah. this, but like there are days when you don't want to paint, right? And you're like, oh my God, I just, I, I don't want to do this. And then you force yourself to get in the studio and you just, I know some of my best work has come out of that. Does that make sense for you too? Yeah, I think that resonates. I think anytime you're, it's resistance, you know, yes. anytime you're feeling you're running up against that deep resistance. It's just like, I have a 20 minute rule. I don't know. I mm -hmm. came up with this years ago. I have a 20 minute rule and I do it with exercise, reading. I call it creation work, which is the work I do with acting. Um, I probably need to write something about this 20 minute rule. So I have, I read something. Yeah. This could be a bestseller. Says, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Someone's now going to steal it. That's <laughs> fine. Um, Trademark. So, so, I know somewhere. I read this thing where it takes 20 to 22 minutes to get into the flow of something. Mm -hmm. So I have this agreement with myself where I'll set a timer on my, on my phone and I'll be like, okay, I will do 20 to 22 minutes of this activity. If I don't hit like a flow state with it, I'll change mm -hmm. the activity. It's just not the day to do it. Okay. Um, I like that. And so it works though. It profoundly works because it sort of lets you off the hook of like, if my body feels awful after exercising for 22 minutes, it's not the day to do it. Or if my, I hate painting after 22 minutes, it's not the day to do it. Mm -hmm. Or if I can't fall into this role after whatever, but it, what happens is like, okay, sometimes that 22 minute timer goes off and I'm like, Oh, I hate this. And I move on to the next 22 minute activity. Or sometimes I, that timer will go off and I will just go for hours. And it's a really, structurally profound like thing to do because you can do anything for 22 minutes oh yeah definitely. it's so freeing but it, there is something that happens after that little marker where you can kind of tell if it's just like you're too tired that day or if you can get into that flow state like it just really works for me it's a nice way um, to have a conversation with your brain too and just be like okay, you don't want to do this. Just give it 20 minutes, you know, and then you, it's like a little hack into your brain. It is. It's a little agreement where it's just like, you're not just open-endedly sitting down with this like mean brute force. You're giving yourself an out. 
And I yes. think it's really important when we are exhausted and we live in such a hyper discipline like world. It's like, no, sometimes you need to chill out. Just give yourself an out. Exactly. You know? Yeah. We even do that with movies. If we're like some one of us doesn't want to watch something, we're like, all right, just give it 20 minutes. And if you don't like it, we'll watch something else. And then yeah. you know, half the time you just end up watching it <laughs> because you like it. So um, I've watched many movies that I didn't think I was going to like because of that. So I think that's great. So anybody who's listening, if you're having a problem getting creative, just give yourself 20 minutes. Try it out. I love it. So, okay. I wanted to ask you about uh, biggest failures or a failure that you've had. I know quote unquote failure. A lot of people push back on the, that, that word, but um, something that you that didn't succeed in your life that you were able to use and learn from. Oh man. Oh man. And if you don't have one, you can say, no, I probably have, I probably (laughs) have like a hundred of them. Um, I had, I was like, this is the first one that came to mind. So we'll just go with like whatever the first instinct was. Go with it. Yes. And uh, I had this audition a hundred years ago because mm-hmm. I've lived so many lives and it was an audition for an agency that a dear friend. So uh, this dear friend that's very successful as an actor uh, set up for me. It's Brad Pitt. It's Brad Pitt. We're <laughs> no, um, not yet. Not yet. Um, not yet. Right. There you go. No, this uh, actor friend of mine saw an indie film. I did this indie film actually did really well. And mm-hmm. is this the one that it. won awards? Yeah, I won some festivals and awards. Um, I saw a clip from that. It was awesome. Thank you. And so he set up a meeting with his agency. And it was one of those awful ones where you go into a conference room and they're like, bring in a prepared scene. And there's like 40 people. There wasn't 40 people, but, you know, there was way too many people there. It feels like 40 people. It feels like 40 people and they're just cold. Oh, and yeah. I was a baby and I have never in the history of ever knock on wood dropped lines. Like I just don't, lines stick with me. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and I read it with a girlfriend of mine and I dropped the line. And they just were not the people that were like, it's okay, do it again. They're like, okay, thanks, bye. Oh my and it God. Was, and I, it was in Beverly Hills. I'll never forget. It was in Beverly Hills. And it was like a wheelhouse scene. I could have done it in my sleep. And there was just for some, it was just not my day. Yeah. And it was. Um, well, it's bad energy it was, in the room, probably. It was just bad energy in the room because what I think it was is you can tell when you go into a room and they're just doing their client a favor. They really have no interest in you. You can yeah. feel it. Yeah. You can feel it. And they were just doing their client a favor. And I get it. But it would have been better if they had just said no. And but also be a nice, be a human being and give somebody a chance. Yeah, they were not human beings. They were just not human beings. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't care. I can override that. I was not at the time. I was just too much of a baby and too much in in that, like, please like me mode. And Mm -hmm. I just went out in this like courtyard and I think it was like Century City Mall or something. Oh, yeah. And I just like collapsed into my friend because it was that feeling like, oh, I still remember the feeling. It was that feeling where I had completely failed myself. Like there was, you know, because even it even when you don't get the role, but you show up for yourself, it doesn't matter because it's like you showed up for your art. But I had that feeling in that moment where I was like, I failed myself. Like it's over. Like if I can't show up for myself when I get the opportunity, how am I ever going to do this? How am I ever like, I? because the thing is actors always feel is like, just give me the opportunity. 
just give me the opportunity and I'll show up. Exactly. And so as an and, actor, and it's hard sometimes to get the opportunity to get your foot oh in the door. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you're constant. The story is so much like, just give me the opportunity guys. Yep. Like I've been doing this for 700 years. Like, just give me the opportunity. And so, you know, baby Christina was like, I finally got the opportunity. I failed myself. I don't know how to function oh, from now on. Yeah. Like I, I don't know how to live with myself. Yeah. Like it was full. I mean, I was full, like collapse into my friend. Like, I don't know how to heal from this. And it was just, you just do, you just have to be like, it wasn't my time. Like yeah. these were just not my people. Exactly. Oh. So did you, yeah. did you take that with you? to or did it was it something where you just kind of developed a thicker skin after that or yeah it just has to turn into I mean I still want to die when I think about it because it's horrible because they're like sitting there quietly judging you you know yeah I'm just like give me something yeah judgy judgers I'm really cool do you just want to talk to me like I'm fun but it was just like they're just not my people. Like this yeah. is just not my moment. These are not my people. Cause then you go on to work with like Oscar winners and they're really nice to you. And you yeah. go on to do other crap and you just realize some people will not see you. And then That's other so people will, because it's like, it's not like I haven't dropped lines before or made weird choices, but it's just like some people see you and some people don't. And maybe and you, you would have hated working with them. Oh, they would have been terrible. Horrible. Yeah, I would have been so bored. They would have been so terrible. Oh yeah, would have been, but it's also just like that. I think as artists, like the realization that it's like I'm trying to show up for myself more than anything else. Because again, it's like I've done auditions and not booked them, but I've been so happy with my own work that it doesn't matter. Exactly. Because it's like if I'm only doing this for money, I'm gonna die anyway. You know right, what I mean? Right. Right. You know, it's funny. I and maybe I've shared this on the podcast before, but when I was acting. I always found because there is, I think a lot of actors are people pleasers and they want to be, I'm like, I'm still a people pleaser um, to an extent, but like you just want people to come and they think you're great and, and you want them to love what you do. And I, I'd have a lot of anxiety with auditions. And I always found the times when I came in hungover, like back when I was drinking, <laughs> those were the times that I booked it. Like I, so I would book it without a callback because you know what? I didn't give a shit. I was just like, I'm up there. Yeah. I'm doing it. I, there was no pretense. I didn't care what they thought about me. And they're like, I don't know what it is, but so you know, he doesn't care about us. So we're giving him the, the, the gig. Um, I don't know what that is. And I'm not saying for any actors out there listening that you should go into all your auditions hungover, but there's something about that energy of like, you don't need this. Therefore, we're going to give it to you, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. The not care energy is, it is a palpable energy, but that's all energy of just like, I'm doing this for myself. And And it can be positive too. It can be like a positive, I don't give a shit energy. Like I'm doing this for me and my energy, like you can't keep me down. And that's also very attractive. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing about art though. You have to reach the point where it's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell these stories for myself, take it or leave it. Like and yes. at the end of the day, you will find, you'll find your galleries, you'll find your acting people, you'll find your place in the world with that longevity and that feeling of there's a place for me and I can't continue to sacrifice myself trying to fit into everybody else's category. Exactly. Yep. I couldn't have said it better myself. Do you have any advice for your younger self? 
maybe it doesn't have to be about acting or painting or anything. It just can be in general, or it can be about that. What would you tell your younger self now that you've learned all this? Oh, so much. I think, <laughs> I think the biggest thing was, it's just like, you're enough, you know, mm-hmm. like you're enough in the, in the feeling of imperfection and just, and the sensitivity and the, and the fear and all of it, like it's, it's all okay. And it's all going to be okay. I think it's just, and, and I think it would be like, don't hide as much, like don't hide as much trying to be perfect Mm -hmm. or trying to be enough, you know? Oh yeah. I think it, it would just be something around all of that. I think. I I love it. I took a deep breath when you were saying it, because it was just like, Yes. It's just like a nice reminder at any time, even when you're doing well, it's a nice reminder. Yeah. I think I still have to tell myself that stuff. I just, I'm better at saying that to myself now, but I wish I could go back and just like free her a little bit more, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just free her and let her, let her like not audition for the part of Christina. Like, right. Be Christina. (laughs) You are Christina. Be Christina. Yeah. yeah. It just be. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's so true. But you know, it's like we were talking about earlier. It's another, it's a thing that's like a lifelong practice. I think you get better at it, but you still have to remind yourself from time to time. Like I yeah. still feel like I slip back into that. And I, I always kick myself later. It's like, why am I trying so hard? I'm, I am that already. Just, just be, just be that. So I think that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that with us. I wanted to ask you, what are you working on now with your art, with your with your um, visual art? What's coming down the pipeline? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, well, I may have some trigger warnings, so I'm just throwing that out there. So it's a story that I've kept close to my heart for the last 10 years. And it's, again, wrapped around the suffering, which I put the first piece in the program show. Mm-hmm. Um and it is a story that of, of my, um, when I was raped and almost killed 10 years ago. Oh and yeah. And it's just, again, it's talking about that self-acceptance and, you know, cause I, like I said, it happened in, it'll be 10 years on June 12th. It happened June 12th, 2011. And, wow. um, yeah, I was. I was raped, almost died. And then I lived with the guy at the time and I, he, um, couldn't handle it. So I also lost, you know, the guy I thought I would marry and the place that I lived. So it was a going through a criminal investigation while losing everything. And, um, and so it's just creating pieces around, um, my journal entries from the time and also the, um, like the forensic documents, like you still have everything. So it's, it's creating pieces and also deep, like going more deeply into the Kintsugi sort of explaining really the suffering in order to say, you know, not that I'm a big victim, but like, if I can survive this, like, you know, you can survive anything, you know, yeah, lose everything and you can come out the other side and, and just like, I think sometimes I walk through life and and I have so much optimism about life, but it's because of that experience. It's like, I feel like, you know, looking down the barrel of, of what 
almost death looks like and, and, and being stripped of everything. I just feel more alive now, you know? Um, and so it's just like sharing with that, you know, and also life goes on. Like I, it's also taking some of the, some of the journal entries I have are like these really mundane, like to do lists of like, go buy hair dye and walk your dog and get groceries and call the detective. <laughs> right. But it also has like call the detective and like, it's very weird. It's just like yeah. these weird, weird things of just saying like, this is not just my story. This is, this is like our story and, and just giving it back to the world and saying, let's l- interact with these things. I don't just want it to be a folder in my life forever. Yes. And it also gives again, more context to the gold and and just really, I really want to be honest as an artist and and give all of my stories to the world. And that's what I promised I would do just to myself. And so this is my way of just being really, really honest. And so, yeah, yeah. I think that's my, that's my next phase. That's amazing. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I didn't, I wanted to be respectful. I didn't want to bring up anything without you bringing it up. So thank you for sharing that with us. I'm really sorry that happened to you. Um, it's horrible, but I also, I think it's amazing that you're taking that suffering and turning it into something beautiful, like you're doing with everything else and you're helping other people, you're helping other women. So thank you for, for doing that. That's, that's amazing. I know that's hard to talk about it. Um, and so I applaud you for that. And, uh, thank you. Is this what the, the rain charity, I know you did an event recently where you spoke you told your story. Was this uh, centered around this? Yeah. So Rain is an incredible organization. It's the Rape Abuse Incest National Network, and Rain mm-hmm. was part of what really saved me during my entire process because it's like the national network for um, resources for all of this and advocacy for um, all sorts of abuse. Um, I like to say survivors, not victims. It just has a better connotation. Um, Definitely. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I've worked with Rain. I've actually trained with Rain's um, the Rain Train program, which is um, advocates that you know do uh, the, like the phone answering services, which I actually used when I was going through my whole process because they can connect you with services all around um, for all different things, even like suicide abuse. Um, incest they'll give you like the hotlines, and they're a twenty-four hour hotline. So I've trained with that hotline as well. Um, so yeah, it's just an incredible network. And so I try to direct as many people towards rain as physically possible and connect it with a lot of my acting as well. And just like, anytime I mention this story, I try to mention rain as well, just in case it is triggering and yeah, um, yeah. Just direct people towards that because so if anybody just, wants to check it out, it's R A I N N, right? Yeah. .org. .org. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, I think I interrupted you. No, that's great. Um, it's fine. So yeah, again, cause it's taking this story that, um, because unfortunately like our criminal justice system, and that's what I'll get into, like with this, you know, I was talking to Mike about eventually building a solo show around this and, and what I love that it. looks like. Yeah. And just taking all be very do- powerful. Yeah. Just taking the documents and showing like, you know, where the system has so many holes in my experience with working with the criminal justice system. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's amazing things like rain and peace over violence that are trying to fill the holes of our criminal justice system. And, um, but we still have so far to go. And, and like you said, like it, 
this is not just my story. This is so many people's story. This is just my, you know, the specifics of mine are are what they are. And so maybe this can open a dialogue. And that's my goal is like, the more we, um, and it's even you talking about your specifics with trauma is like the more that we just pull the veil back on the things that we feel shame about. It's like, there's no reason to feel shame that we have a story. What, no matter yeah. what that story is, like the more we free and liberate ourselves, like the more we can walk freely through our lives, whether that's depression or it's rape or it's abuse or it's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, it's just like, I just want to free people. I want them to feel seen and I want to free them. And, you know, I can only do that by freeing myself, you know, that's so true. So. Cause we'll there's a lot gonna... of fear and shame around all that stuff. Like people, there's many reasons why people don't share it, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very bold of you to do that. I love this idea of you building a show around. It. I think that's going to be extremely powerful. I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's going to be a journey, but I'm now, you know, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I'm, I'm ready. I think is the right word. And so, yeah. um, you know, and again, I feel so lucky to know all of you because I feel so embraced and supported. So. Well, I'll be there for sure. And I think, man, I think it's going to be cathartic for a lot of people. And I think for you too, it's, I think there's just going to be like, uh, like an unloading of this once it's, once it's up, you know, for public consumption. Wow. No, that's, that's, that's amazing. I know the criminal justice system has failed so many rape victims. I know there's a lot of like rape kits out there that'll never be even looked at. Is that, isn't that right? Yeah. yeah, Just in LA County, I checked last week um, because mine is unprocessed, which is part of the reason you know, that part of the reason that uh, my case went sideways, but there are 13,949 just in LA County that are unprocessed. Oh my God. That, does, that doesn't include the newly collected one. That's the, those are just the unprocessed and that's just in LA County. And sadly, LA County has one of the lowest rate prosecution rates in the U.S. We are, Why do you think that is? Um, because of, you know, again, district attorneys who are the ones that decide to prosecute rape or not, mm-hmm. like to follow through. And it's, the process is really painstaking, which I'll get into in my show. Like, mm-hmm. as a victim collects evidence and everything goes through with detectives. But, you know, district attorneys are elected officials, they're not yeah. assigned. And so the more you start to decide, a district attorney is starting to decide whether or not to follow through on a case. They want a case they can win. And so they're going to choose cases that are really high percentage. And so rape, um, they often don't push through because they're like, oh, if I don't win this case, it's less likely I'll get elected because my stats will go down. And so they often just dismiss rape cases because it's politics. It's politics. It's completely. But, you know, if you look at someone like me, if I were a politician's daughter, they'd be like, oh, well, I want this to go through because it looks better for my career because it's a high profile. And so you really, you know, I, you know, I'm very lucky that my rapist was arrested, which is a huge deal. That doesn't, Mm -hmm. that still doesn't happen. Um, And so he has a rape, um, he has a rape on his record, but he's not in jail because of the DA. So he's like a sexual predator then. 
he's a sexual predator, but he's still walking free in LA, which is oh for God. me, a, which is for me, a whole PTSD situation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's so, horrific. Uh, but that's the case with most, you know, even the rarity, which I worked with, with my detective of the fact that he is walk, like he got arrested is such a rarity. That means that the case has got enough evidence, but they're not going to prosecute the rape kit and put him in jail because of the DA. So you're getting into a broken system of politics and LA is just, you know, it's like less than 5% of rape cases are prosecuted. So wow, it's um, our world is still really, really far behind. And, and I think the more we have conversations about it, the more we can shine a light and start to fight it. And um, there's just too much shame where we don't have conversations. And that's right. what we have to change. I completely agree with that. And also just, there's got to be a different sort of reward system out there for people, like incentivize them to do the right thing than, uh, than the, what's the most political thing they can do? What's the thing that's going to help their career the most? And that's a huge topic. I know it, it goes into so many different areas of politics, but yeah, I'm hopefully, you know, with people like you talking about it and sharing, it will change a little by little, but that's, uh, that's horrific. And <laughs> I still can't believe it. That that's, those are the the figures, you know? Yeah. Let's hope that that's, you know, the world is about incremental change and let's just yes. hope that, that people feel more and more free to tell their story and to liberate themselves and, and realize that they didn't, you know, do anything wrong and put yeah. more pressure on the system to change. And that's what we can hope for is incremental change. Well, and don't you think a lot of it too is, fear like okay well since we know these statistics why am i going to put my neck out there if this person could potentially roam free well is that is that part of it yeah it's i mean the fear and also the how difficult it is to even go through the process of being a survivor that's going through the investigative process which is its own torture like re-traumatized yeah, you're being re-traumatized over and over and you're being you're being treated like a criminal. And that's not it, it's not a pitying mm. statement. It's just like you're being put in cop cars and you're being interrogated and you're doing a pretext call, which I don't know if you're familiar with a pretext call. Mm-hmm. Um, a pretext call is where you're taken into a room with a detective and you're asked to call the person that raped you. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And, um, you're asked asked to call them and act like you enjoyed what happened in order to get them to admit on the phone what they did. This cannot be a thing. Are you kidding me? It's real. And my pretext call was over an hour and a half long. Oh my God. Yeah. And so we're doing these things to victims and then we wonder why they can't survive the process. They just, right. They can't, they're being broken down in so many different layers. And then you're reinterrogating them and ask, and I understand why they ask the same questions over and over because they're trying to see if your story is going to change. Sure. Um, But they're also basically asking you to go undercover. Yeah. Oh, it's, and pretext calls are illegal in, in a lot of states. They're not illegal in LA. As they should be. Wow. Yeah. They should be illegal. And so that's another part of like, how do I you know, or anybody start to advocate for them becoming illegal because they're not admissible in court. Mm -hmm. And so 
because they're tape recorded without the person's permission. So it's just, there's so much that we could get into and how do we start to have the dialogue? And that's my biggest thing is like, let's start to have a dialogue. Maybe this solo show could be that dialogue. Um, But if anything else, even if it's among the shock box people that know about it, then let's do that. Let's have the conversation. And the more people that are aware, that's amazing. Yeah. And people listening to this podcast too. I mean, you've enlightened me definitely. I, I thought I knew quite a bit about it, but I, I had no idea about these pretext phone calls. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for sharing the story. I can't wait for the show. I, I mean, I think it sounds like it's going to be very powerful. Sorry. Was there, was there anything else you wanted to share about that? No, I'm just, um, thank you for asking and, you know, thanks for being so open and receptive and I'm excited to move forward and yeah, yeah. cool. Okay. Well, um, this is going to sound completely out of left field now, but, uh, tell us about your dogs. <laughs> Yay, no, that's never, you can always ask about my dogs. I love my dogs so oh my much. God. Um, Maisie and Lily, which Maisie is amazing because she's 11. So she's been through everything with me. Um, there, Macy is probably like a Sheltie mix. She's like, I don't know, 18 pounds. She looks like a little Fox. Yes. Super magical. I, I, me and my sister say she's like a woodland creature. I love foxes. Those are like my power animal. So yes, exactly. I have like a tattoo of Maisie mixed with a Fox. Like, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. She's completely magical. And then Lily, her little companion looks like the miniature version of her, but she's so dumb. I call her super (laughs) stupid. Um, she's like eight pounds. Just so adorable, really, really cuddly, really needy. And I love it secretly, even though I make fun of it. Um, yeah, yeah. But they are my constant companions because I love just having the energy in my house. And I love animals. I grew up, you know, deep south. So I love having, you know, I was always the one bringing animals home. And so my mother would be like, we cannot keep another animal. <laughs> so I have to be surrounded by animals. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, they make a cameo in all of your social media too for anybody who wants to check you out by the way how can people check you out can you share that yeah for sure i'm mostly on instagram that's really the only one i use um i have two instagrams so acting and a little bit of art is christina elizabeth smith on instagram and then all art is amrita art which is a m r t a art um the old school spelling the old school spelling which i love love. and so yeah follow yeah, for sure. And you won't be disappointed in either. I love both of them. Um, I like also that you uh, separate those. I know that's difficult, but I do think there are benefits to, like I have a, another artist friend who separates Instagram just with different genres of their own art. Like let's say you're a pop surrealist and uh, you do fluid painting. Like he does that on Etsy, he does it on social media. Um, and I think that has some advantages. Did you do it uh, just to kind of keep your two personas separate or... Or just to focus in, or was it like some sort of deep algorithmic thing? Yeah, no, I don't think it's, you know, I tried never to do anything for the algorithm. I'm very anti the algorithm, to be honest. Um, uh, You know, the art, there was a very freeing and healing aspect of having Amrita art without my photo attached to it, without Mm -hmm. like, look at me, this is what I look like. Um, of course it was, it was just about the art. It was just about, this is what I am as an artist. There's something very beautiful and healing to me about that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then on my Christina profile, it's everything. It's my dogs. It's me being silly. It's me, 
um, living my life and going to the beach and, and acting and, you know, my friends, but the Amrita account is sacred to me in that it's, it's things I read and, and the art that I'm doing. And yeah, there is something, you know, I don't know how that will evolve. I'm very open and accepting of how that evolves, but I, it feels very sacred that my face is not attached to that, you know, cause I, yeah. because the acting is very much about what I look like. It's very much about that to have something that's not about the way I look is healing. Definitely. Oh yeah. I agree. I mean, I understand that too, from back in the acting days, it's nice. It's, it's almost like a, it's almost a Buddhist thing right there too. Anti ego. It's like, you're, you're taking away the story aspect of it and like, here, just here it is. Here's my art. Yeah. I love that. It's yeah, beautiful. I, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, check out both of them anyway. Um, they're both great. Christina Elizabeth Smith and Amrita, A-M-R-T-A. This has been awesome talking to you. I feel like we could talk, we could do another round down the road if you want. I would love that. I would love yeah. that. I'm very grateful to be here. So thank you so much. Of course. And do you feel we're about ready to, to finish up, but is there anything we left out? Anything else you want to talk about before we do? No, I think that was just so great. It's so fun to talk to you. So thank you. Cool. And it's been great getting to know you a little more. So can't wait to see you at a live show. I know we're going to be talking tomorrow on the Zoom opening or well, in the it's in the past when you're listening to this, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, check out Dude Unmute Yourself also when you get a chance from Shockbox. Christina, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great. All right. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been the Living Artist Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I just want you to know that I appreciate you being here, and I'm grateful to be in your ears. Your art and creative life on this planet is meaningful, so thank you for sharing it with me. If you like this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on, please subscribe and share it with your friends. You can also leave me a positive review to show your support. This helps me to reach more people with the algorithmic magic and keep the show going strong. If you want to see more of what I do and check out the art that I create, you can visit my website at www.pmsartwork.com or follow me on social media everywhere at PMS Artwork. That's it for now. See you back here next time.